My name is Panos. My name is Sebastian. Welcome to Curiosity. So we have a uh, lovely St. Patrick's Day edition for you all. St. Patrick's Day. Uh, so we're recording this on the day where everyone is drinking. At this point, yeah, everyone's um, everyone's uh, already got regrets. And we're sitting in a dark room, staring at each other lovingly with no shoes on. We have no shoes. That's you know that's how we how we roll here at the Curiosity Pod. We've made a decision today. Uh, so because we are doing this on St. Patrick's Day and we both had really hectic schedules before this, yeah. uh, we're gonna do an episode uh, that we will title "What Do You Do?" <laughs> this is, you know, when the Simpsons do at the end of their uh, their season, they they kind of have one of those highlight episodes, and the writers didn't uh, didn't want to really work that week. This is what we're doing, really. Well, we're still going to give you some actual content. There's always going to be important content. Uh, but we're going to talk about things that uh, took a little bit less research to look into, but I guess our masters and PhDs are the research. Yeah, exactly. So we've kind of spent four years making this show. <laughs> God, help me. That was depressing. At least I finished mine. Uh, so uh, we're going to give you a little bit of background information on uh, on organic synthesis and on the cell organic synthesis that sounds impressive it is to some people mm-hmm. uh so sebastian you want to give us a little bit of information on the cell the cell yeah so um i feel like generally when i when i talk about you know whenever i meet someone new or or, or i see someone uh from a a long time ago in a galaxy far far away uh they they, they, they kind of ask me the typical hey how have you been and what do you do and they ask me the "What do you do?" because you know maybe they're forced to, or because maybe they're generally interested. They are never genuinely interested. Yeah, it's just a social construct. Yeah, I know. And um, and so I, I kind of go into my spiel, right? Because I you know I've been doing this for four years. I, I have a lot to talk about. And within about seven seconds, I, I feel like I, I get that kind of glaze, uh, and they're they're kind of looking over my shoulder. And at this point, they're kind of really just nodding and smiling and. And they're really just being uh, socially polite. But that's not going to be this episode. That is not going to be this episode. Um, because I have your attention for the next 50 minutes. <laughs> we don't know how long this episode's going to be. Oh, boy. Okay. So, um, so this cell. Um, I feel like the most important and quintessential part to start off this show is to kind of give a conceptual idea of what is a cell? Um, I, you know, I start going off into my research and I explain what cells do and how they interact with the, with the surroundings. And, and, you know, there's a lot of complicated sidetracks that I could go into. But generally, I don't think the, the, the average person has a clear image of what a cell is like. Yeah, I, before talking to you, it's, it's more like you understand that it has all the different portions to it. It has some sort of structure. Um, but you know, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you what I can tell you like a couple of things that the cell contains, but really, mm-hmm. yeah. So, um, so I thought I was trying to think of an analogy, and so to me, the cell is the most sophisticated tent you have ever used, really. Yes, so the camp, like you know, you, you've been camping, right? Yep. Uh, and I'm not talking about that RV crap. None of that glamping. The gla- no, there's no glamping here. This is, uh, you know, this is. Let's let's go back to. I was gonna say let's go back to the original. No, they didn't have tents back then. But um, let's go back to uh, traditional camping. And um, you know, you you go to your site or wherever you are in the forest, and you 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 bring out your tent, and you have these metallic 
frames. Yeah, the rods that you have to like clap into place. Yeah, generally they have like, kind of like an elastic between them, so that it almost does itself. Yeah. But um, but you kind of you build this framework, right? Mm -hmm. And and without putting the um, the nylon top or whatever material on top, it looks like the skeleton. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this very bare bones skeleton. And then once you've built the skeleton, you've been the structure. Then you put this 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 sheath over it, this kind of uh, you know whatever plastic that's plastic gonna make sure that you don't get water on you. Exactly. So you put it over, and you have this 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 protective uh, you know this protective uh, uh, house really. So how is this compared to the so actual how is cell? This, so yeah. So you know why is this comparative to a cell? Well, the cell uh, in essence is exactly like your tent. It has a what we call a cytoskeleton. Okay. And the cytoskeleton are the rods that I'm talking about. And obviously, it's it's a little more complicated. But imagine if that tent had thousands and thousands of rods mm -hmm. uh, that are constantly able to remodel themselves, to readjust, to resize, to mm -hmm. dynamically shift and move uh, in relation to external stimuli. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, I, you know, I was thinking about it this way. If... If, for instance, you're in that tent, or you know, you're you know, you're, you're looking from the tent from a distance, and this gust of wind uh, comes in and pushes, it applies a, a very strong force from one side of the tent. Well, the tent isn't dynamic; it doesn't change; it doesn't shift. It really just is. It's static. Mm -hmm. So, if that that wind was to come in and push it. Well, it'll probably flop over, or you know, it'll fly into the distance, or some, or the actual tent itself will rip, or it could rip. Absolutely, mm -hmm. yeah, sure. And and so the cell is like your tent, but it is dynamic. So in response to such an external stimuli, it would completely remodel its cytoskeleton. It would remodel that rod framework to maybe perhaps uh, create a more aerodynamic shape so that the resistance to that force is less. Um, it may do, who knows, it may do a thousand different things based on what type of cell it is. But the most important thing is that it does in fact remodel itself or it will interact dynamically. And so you could bring in new situations, new stimuli, new anything, and you may get a different response every time. So does the cell like stick to that shape or is it constantly kind of changing to uh, adhere to all the different uh, conditions that it's in? Right. So a cell, depending on the cell type, um, will will react differently so there are many different cell types in your body obviously you know you have you have muscle you have bones you have neurons you have uh, fat tissue you have uh, endothelial epithelial man I could, I could I could go on but there are so many different cell types that are responsible for so many different things and based on the responsibility they will have a different size shape uh, and what we call in, in science morphology Okay. And um, so morphology is basically just like the the shape of it and and kind of the three D structure of and, it, and right? Three D structure of yeah, and that's always generally directed to its um its, to its responsibilities. Yeah, to yeah. its function. So yeah. I know that we'll be talking about enzymes um in a little bit, and and it was really interesting to to read up on it because uh, someone was asking me what the difference between an enzyme and a and a protein was. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll we'll get into that in a little bit, but um, yeah, it, it's the actual shape of it can be really important to how effective it is at doing the job uh, that it is supposed to do. For sure, yeah, and 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 the way it behaves, because 
like I said, these are very dynamic systems. So when you do something to a cell, depending on its cell type, it will react completely differently. Hmm. And so um, I'm, I'll give you an example now. Um, there is a... Uh, well, you know what? Okay, I'm going to go back to what's in a cell. I was going to say, what's, yeah. in, what's in our tent? What's, what's in our tent? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, let's say you're, you're staying, uh, you know, wherever, and you want to be there for about a week or two. Uh, what would that tent need to survive? And generally, well, you're going to need electricity. And in, in biological terms, that's called the mitochondria. Okay, yeah. so you'll need some sort, some form of energy to actually keep you going for the two weeks. Absolutely, you need, you know, everything you do requires energy, mm-hmm. and and you need to 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 gain that. And and there are uh, there are organelles. That's what we call, you know, little things inside the cell. We call them organelles, like organs, but organelles, little ones, and little ones, little ones, and um, and they're responsible for various tasks uh, within the cell. So the mitochondria give you energy. Uh, which is actually really funny because if you ever seen, if you seen, I, you're not gonna want to remember this, but Star Wars. You remember Star Wars Episode One? Sure. Yeah. Um, I feel like I don't know if this is an actual correlation or or I I just picked up on it because well I'm I'm in biology, but when they find Anakin Skywalker and um and Obi Wan kind of you know he kind of uh, messages back to his spaceship and he's like, the metachlorians on this boy is is off the charts. I feel like they really just kind of like shifted metachlorians from mitochondria. It's really, you know, they're kind of just stealing and, and whatnot. So anyway, so maybe that was their cheap spinoff from, you know, the energy from this boy is insanely high. He's he's going to become this traitor and take over the world. Anyway. I feel like you're the only person that picked was, up on that. You know and, it, and, and it, it like dinged in you so much that you needed to include it in the podcast. I feel like I just wanted to there. Yeah. Anyway. I, I hope there's someone out there. I wasn't the only one. Anyway, so um, so, yeah, so there are other parts of the cell. So, for instance, we have... Um, we have the nucleus. The nucleus. So, the nucleus is responsible for all the information and all the instructions. Um, so, like, like you know, I, I said, a cell is extremely dynamic. But, well, how is it dynamic? You know, and you, if, I am to, if I'm to do something to different people, you know, let's say we were to do a psychological experiment or whatever else, a physical experiment... Different people are going to act differently, and because they are composed of, of you know either different uh, a composition of different memories, different whatever backgrounds and whatnot, well the cell has a set of instructions, and that are obviously originates from DNA, mm-hmm. and so those set of instructions um, allow the cell to create what we call proteins, and proteins are very small little. Uh, molecules. They almost act like little robots in mm. a sense. I mean, I don't want to say specifically because people may, may take the, the, the analogy too far, but they have these little molecules that are responsible for the millions of tasks in your tent. You yeah. Know? And, and, and um, you know, let's say it starts to rain. Let's say there is a gust of wind. Let's say um, there's a particular smell in your tent and you want to get rid of it. Let's say, uh, what happens in a tent? I don't give it to me. Um, uh, uh, anything. Yeah, anything that's affecting the actual tent itself or just attacking the tent. Maybe there's a bear. Right. Okay. Maybe there's a bear. Maybe. Um, and so you're going to. Um, you know, you're going to want to modify that tent. Maybe you'll add holes so that you could breathe better. Uh, who knows? Anything you'd want to add or, or subtract to that tent or, you know, these are what proteins do. So, and so this is their responsibility is to dynamically adapt to what happens. So the idea being is uh, if anything does happen to the cell itself, 
it's uh, it's these proteins that go. They're they're kind of like the soldiers that are going to go out and yeah. actually uh, address whatever situation is out there. Yeah. Um. So you can think of it as like the little kids that are coming to attack the bear because you get little kids to do it because it's funny. Sure. Um. Um. Yeah. So and, and and you know what happens in disease? Uh, you know, a lot of diseases, for instance, are that that are genetic, is that one of these proteins or multiple of these proteins are um aren't being uh, produced properly okay so uh, it happens in alzheimer's it happens in huntington's disease mm. uh it happens in um it, it happens in pretty much any kind of genetic based disease and so what happens is when, when one of those little proteins says you know is, is either not working properly or uh, is not being expressed or is being whatever then the whole cell suffers yeah, and it's kind of, if you think of getting an instruction manual or like a bunch of instructions, it's like missing one of the instructions. Yeah. Sometimes you can actually fix it and sometimes you can you can make do without that set of instructions, uh, but sometimes you really can't. And that's the case uh, with uh, a lot of genetic uh, deficiencies. Yeah, so I mean, imagine getting, you know, you're going to Ikea, you bought that, that whatever, give me a... Malm. The Malm. And uh, you come back home, you're excited, you've got the tools, and then you're missing page five and six of 13. Yeah. Um, you know what? At the end of the day, you may still get a mom, but it won't open. Or it won't be able to hold the bed up. Or it won't be able to hold, you know, or it, whatever, you know? Like, yeah. So, um, so it's the same thing with the cell. So the mm. cell may compensate a lot of the time, but uh, you're going to get you're going to get irregular behavior and you're going to get irregular issues and and that's what happens. So so when we're talking to pro about proteins, I think it's uh, good to for me to jump in and kind of talk a little bit about the project that I worked on. Sure. Um, because what I was working on is uh, a subsection of proteins uh, called okay. enzymes. Enzyme. What's an enzyme? Uh, enzymes are responsible for uh, catalyzing and regulating chemical reactions in a cell. Catalyzing. What does that mean? So catalyzing means uh, basically assisting Okay. Uh, assisting a chemical reaction to occur in the cell. Speeding it up or, Speeding it or up, breaking it down. Or even allowing it to actually happen, okay. uh, which is the case in, in what I was studying. Uh, so <clears throat> whenever you think of building a molecule in a cell, mm -hmm. you don't have super complex starting materials. So you don't, you don't have a ready-made uh, ready anything. Right. You do have to start with a really simple a simple building block. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh so the idea of of using Lego as a as a Yeah, perfect. framework. Maybe sure. that'll help give you guys a, a little bit of a visual. I love you Lego. Uh, you love me some Lego. <laughs> uh so basically if you think of having one Lego block okay. that you can kind of modify a little bit. Mm -hmm. But you always start with let's say a 2 by 2 block. Sure. Right? So you have 2 by 2, you add that one, you have that first one. Mm -hmm. In biochemical terms, sure. what you're doing is you're taking that f that two by two block, then you're going to modify a little bit. Okay. So let's say you make it uh, a little bit shorter. So you make it a one by two block. Mm. Now, after that, you add a second two by two block. Okay. You modify it and you continue this fashion through this fashion until you have the correct length or the, the correct height of Lego blocks you want and exactly all the right different orientations that you want. Yeah, sure. Um, so. <clears throat> Basically, it's a very, very specific process in how they're going to change every single Lego block okay. up until you get to a certain length. Okay. And once you get to that length, uh, the the actual enzyme itself, which is doing all, all of this building, mm -hmm. is using all this machinery, will go, okay, we're long enough. Okay. And what will occur is something called cyclization. 
Okay. Uh, so cyclization is basically taking one end of the molecule mm-hmm. and attaching it to the other. So making a linear molecule okay. into a cycle or a, s- a circular like molecule. Circular-ish. Okay. Um, but what's really difficult about this process and and uh <coughs> and what is interesting about uh, the project that i was working on is synthetic chemists so people doing it not in a biological cell mm-hmm. it's really difficult for them to do this okay uh and this is because molecules aren't uh stationary so they're they are moving around they're constantly moving around okay uh so if you can imagine trying to have a small child with a pool noodle and you're trying to somehow grab both ends of the pool noodle while he is thrashing. Just smack the child. What's wrong with that? Uh, well, that's another story. <laughs> um, uh, and trying to grab both ends of the pool noodle and bring them together to get, like make a circular noodle sure, would be yeah. very difficult. Yeah, yeah. In in Just any smack the child. Okay. <laughs> uh, there's no no equivalent to smacking a child in mm, uh, in, yeah. in synthetic biology. Okay. Great. Yeah. Uh, so basically, for for synthetic chemists, it's it's as if you're dealing with a pool noodle. Okay. Uh, what enzymes can do can actually take the pool noodle mm-hmm. and fit it exactly into a pool noodle shaped um, mold. Oh. Yeah, and it fits perfectly in there. Okay. Uh, so it's very specific for that one pool noodle. Okay. It's any other color, any other shape, any other anything. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Okay. Um, so in, in chemistry or in, in science in general, that's uh, selectivity. So okay. it has high selectivity because it can only pick the one uh, the one pool noodle or the okay. one molecule. Okay. Once that molecule's in place, mm-hmm. that transformation of making linear to circular is actually super simple. Okay. Uh, because that mold itself can bend mm. and can bring the two ends together super simply. Okay. Uh, so so yeah, so that's kind of where. So okay, so let me let me let me let me recap this then. Sure. You um, you are essentially working on a molecular level of Legos. In which you want to create, so I'm thinking back when I was young, I did uh, Star Wars Legos or other, you know, uh, they didn't have that fancy like Pirates of the Caribbean nonsense. No. They're going back to the originals. Um, And you had a very specific shape of Legos you wanted to make. Yep. And you couldn't necessarily just jump to, to step 659. You had to go through sequential steps one at a time. That allowed you to add very specific pieces uh, in very specific orders Mm -hmm. so that in the end, what was once a specific structure uh, will turn on itself and form ultimately the molecule that you want, which is, in my case, probably whatever Star Wars Lego piece I wanted. The X-Wing. The X-Wing. That's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> yeah. So to create the X-Wing, you had to go through step by step because if you skip steps, it never worked. Well, that last, and for for uh, for my case, if you don't have the right order mm-hmm. or if you don't right, have the right um, the right pieces, the last step's just not going to work. It's just not going to work. Yeah. It's just okay. going to get kicked out and it's just going to stay linear. Yeah. So you're, I mean, you're, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, when you think about it, it's a really interesting, you're manipulating at the molecular level and you're playing with forces and, and you are helpless to the fundamental forces of those molecules and you can only play with the rules. You can't, you can't cheat them No. or else they break down. Uh, so you can only, you can only follow them. And what's interesting about, um, and I'll, I'll And what's interesting about it is that you have to actually get to that last step 
um, of the cyclization of, of making that that circular molecule, mm-hmm. but we don't actually know what qualities the linear Lego has to have for that cyclization to occur. You don't know what qualities. What does that mean? So you don't. Okay, so we were talking about like building that Lego stack. Sure. You don't know what that Lego stack looks like. Oh crap! And it and it's a very specific sequence. Okay. Of of mole- like a specific uh, parts in that that'll actually fit in the enzyme to be able to to make it work basically. Okay. Um. So so. So you're essentially you're trying to build the Lego X-wing without the instructions. Uh, kinda. And kinda. Oh. But you know that like, if you put these together, sometimes they'll work, but you can't really explain why. Okay. Um. So. Sounds like research. It's uh, it. <laughs> it was research. Um. So yeah, so so that's cool. kind of an idea of, of enzymes to a certain extent in, in okay. my field. Okay, and what so what protein were you working on in the end? Like what? Or sorry, what um, what 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 uh, what cyclical or cyclical thing were you trying to make? Uh, so <clears throat> I'll I'll explain the the rest of it then. Okay. Uh, so basically, what we were trying to do is that that last step, that cyclization step. Right. We don't understand how it works. We don't okay. understand what qualities a molecule has to have or what shape the Lego has to have for the last enzyme to do that cyclization. So you were able to do it without understanding it? Is that what you're saying? Or Well, previous to me, there was a guy that uh, that built a molecule that looks similar okay. uh, and could basically cyclize that one, okay. um, but not three other ones that looked very similar. Right. Um, so... So we were able to, uh, with a little, with his help and understanding what molecules he was using, mm-hmm. uh, we were able to build other ones that we knew we could uh, visualize. So, whenever you're talking about uh, anything enzymatic mm-hmm. uh, or with enzymes, it's really hard to get a picture of what's going on. Okay. Uh, if you're working on the molecular level, we don't yeah. have really, yeah. we don't have cameras for that. I'm yeah, I'm very fortunate because I work with cells and they are very visible. Yeah. yeah, whereas what I was working on is on a molecular level. Right. Um. So what we have to end up doing is uh, crystallizing. Right. Uh, so like X-ray crystallography. Yeah, that kind of thing. So basically, what we're doing is we are, we have to get the molecule to sit in the enzyme. Okay. And then sit in the enzyme long enough for us to basically make it a solid. Now, okay. making it a solid sounds simple. Uh, Does it? <laughs> well, I don't know. When I mean, the listeners are with me, I'm like, ah, sure, okay. Well, yeah. no. When I think sounds making, complicated to me. When I think making something solid, I think of um, of just freezing it. Okay, I guess. Yeah, sure. You know, uh, but in this case, what we need to do is make sure that it's not frozen because we need to see all of the different interactions that are happening in the enzyme itself. Okay. Um, so crystallization is basically through <coughs> putting it in particular conditions, it's rigidifying this structure that is not that is that is usually moving, but kind of keeping it alive. Cool. Um, so. Cool. So yeah, so what we had, what I had to do was actually s- like make a molecule that looked similar to that linear molecule um, that we know did the cyclization, but one that could also go through these crystallization uh, conditions. So you could image it exactly. Okay. And that was kind of that was kind of the issue is that we couldn't we couldn't get an image of what was going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, again, it's like trying to see that pool noodle mold. Mm-hmm. Right, we couldn't see what the mold looked like, so we couldn't know what kind of molecule we could put in there. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Okay. Um, yeah. So I mean, so yeah. You obviously your research dealt with a lot more of the the micro level. Yeah. Um, the molecular, the nano. 
Mine, on the other hand, is 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 really much larger on scale. Yeah. Uh, although still small, I guess. Yeah. To the relative. It's all relative. It's all relative. Um, and so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna tell you a story. Tell me a story, Sebastian. Of how it all began. Um, it began about three to four years ago when we published a paper that. Uh, so this is by we I mean the Pelling Lab. Uh, if you don't know the Pelling Lab, uh, PellingLab.net. I'm going to be shameless in advertising here. Uh, we, my supervisor recently won a, a TED fellowship. Uh, so TED Talks. Ooh la la. Because we talk about those all the time. Uh, I don't know if he's online yet or if you can see it, but maybe. Maybe in the, in the near future. Anyway. So, so, yeah. So we did an experiment about two or three years ago. And in terms of native environments if you've ever watched typical movies so i'm talking about marvel you know x-men uh i don't know crazy german science uh you know whatever movies like maybe you know better than i do i don't know you know sci-fi whatever else you see either the chemist with this kind of fluorescent green or blue tube for the record almost all of synthetic chemistry is like clear liquids and yellow powders that's right. it so there's nothing fluorescent about there's it. there's not unless you're working with like metals that looks like crap in a movie so absolutely um so the chemist will have that and then the biologist will have uh these petri dishes or petri dishes depending if you're british or american potato 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 and so you have these 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 petri or petri dishes and they're the kind of they are these very flat little dishes. A lot of the time, you may see you know bacterial uh, spores that are placed on there, or other times you may see this kind of pinkish liquid in there. And what they do is that they grow cells in there. So how can they grow? Like, uh, what's actually in the petri dish that allows them to to grow things? Right. Like so what what's the so that um, that 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 pinkish reddish substance is called, we call it media. Yeah, and it's meant to replicate uh, essentially blood or the medium in which the cells exist. So we actually in that in that uh, liquid we put uh, serum. So serum, if you were to ever take your blood, okay, and you were to spin it down, uh, you you'd spin it down. You mean sorry. put it in a centrifuge and yes, separate it into sorry. its solids and liquid You're absolutely parts? Right. So if you were to if you were to have a little tube and you were to kind of like you know that with that rope and you were to <laughs> And you were to create a very high centrifugal force, so that you know, a spinning, uh, like a cowboy, you know, uh, what would happen is that you'd get a separation, and you'd get uh, a lot of blood cells at the tip of it because they weigh more, mm. and then you'd get what we call as plasma at the okay. top of it, right? And that that plasma is essentially the nutrients uh, and the various molecules that are found in the human body, cool, that are quintessential for cellular life. Mm -hmm. Without them, cells die, and um, and so we have we actually extract that from cows, uh, and we um, and we put it in our media, and so that allows the cells to almost feel at home, you know. Yeah, it's like giving the conditions that uh, things would grow in the body because you've given it like oh the water, the sugars, whatever it may need to actually yeah. grow. We also put um, antibiotics in there just yep. in case there's you know bacterial infections. And from what I understand, it's selective antibiotics too. Like you need to make sure that you are. Um, allowing some things to grow. Uh, it depends. It depends what you're doing exactly. Okay. So th this is the petri dish is essentially is essentially 
what we have used for the past 70, 80 years to grow cells. Yeah. Uh, and it's, you know, it's not bad. Don't, don't get me wrong. But in terms of uh, the substrate or the environment, it's a very flat, uh, plastic, hard environment. Mm-hmm. And at what point in your body do you have a very flat, plastic, hard environment? Uh, nowhere. Exactly. So, um, and the importance to that is, well, cells respond to their environment differently. Naturally. And I'm going to give you an example of that. So, for instance, there is a breast cancer cell line. Uh, so, by cell line, I mean a type of cell that we've extracted from, uh, from a patient that had breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And if we place it in a very simple two-dimensional plastic dish... Uh, it remains benign and and non-cancerous. However, if you put it in a three-dimensional environment or gel, it becomes metastatic. Metastatic? Yeah, so it it it, um, it actually it, it becomes it, cancerous. It becomes cancerous. It becomes it, it it generates or it starts to grow uncontrollably, which is what cancer does. Which is exactly what cancer does. And the only reason it does this is because you've slightly modified its environment. So, uh, in my lab, we have played with a lot of this about mm-hmm. about doing is really stealing nature's natural scaffolds to perhaps use them to our own will. And that's kind of the idea behind my project as well. Okay. Um, so basically, what we're trying to do. So for uh, I was talking a little bit earlier about uh, synthetic organic chemistry mm-hmm. and how difficult it is to actually do that cyclization. Okay. Uh, so the reason why my my project is is at least interesting uh, is because we are trying to use a biological system to do that cyclization for us. Right. Um, so if you're thinking about uh, all the pharmaceuticals that you have probably consumed, they were made by a machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Efficiency is forever the the enemy of synthetic organic chemists. Okay. Because so it's hard to make. Well, it's hard to be efficient doing it. Well, it's not only hard to be efficient to do it. It's it's the percentage in which your efficiency is. Okay. It sounds kind of so, so. There's a lot of waste. Exactly. So like the the whenever you're thinking about whatever you're making in in uh, as a chemical or as a pharmaceutical, mm-hmm. um, if you think of being ninety percent efficient at doing one transformation, ninety percent is pretty good, mm-hmm. right? But if you have to do five or six transformations, whatever you're starting with, the amount that you're starting with actually ends up being really, really small. Okay. Uh, so with synthetic organic chemists, so doing it in the chemical way, mm. uh, sometimes you'll need five, six, seven steps mm. all at 90%. Right. Um, what that means is you have 90% times 90% times 90%. Mm. Uh, and if you do it six times in a row uh, and you're 90% efficient, you actually end up with just over half of the material that you started with. Right, okay. So if you could find a method of uh, doing the same transformation in less steps, mm-hmm. uh, then you're able to increase the efficient efficiency and increase the production of whatever you're trying to make. Sure. So my project was to try and understand how that last cyclization piece worked okay. so that you can use it in a pharmaceutical setting and make sure that um, that you could do so efficiently and hopefully use it to make more drugs, more complex drugs. Sure, sure. Yeah. Yours. So what's my project about? And this is, you know what? I want, I want, um, I want to make this the, like, I should, I, I should make, I should scream right now just so that this is the, the focal point that every time someone asks me, what do you do? I can go here. Listen. 
So, are you ready for this? Mom, are you listening? Everybody. <laughs> I'm not in neuroscience anymore, mom. <laughs> I get that a lot. Okay. So, um, so my coming back to non-native substrates or non-native environments, the cells aren't used to very flat plastics. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, you know what? Let's throw two different cell types in a 3D environment. Okay. And let's see what happens. And the two different cell types we chose were skin cells, mm-hmm. which are responsible for um, for repairing, um, you know, any uh, cuts that any you have. cuts or yeah. damages that you have to your skin. So if you know if you cut your skin very deep, uh, eventually within three or four days, that that cut will kind of close itself. Well, there are cells responsible for this, yep. and they're called fibroblasts, and they create collagen, uh, which is a structural protein. And again, your collagen is your friend because as you grow older, the collagen in your face giving that beautiful rigidity and that beautiful youthfulness uh, that, you know, so so slowly eludes us as we grow older, um, that kind of degrades and you lose that collagen. In fact, I think there's a lot of like synthetic products that you can use to artificially implant collagen to your face or whatever. Anyway, so um, so yeah, so we threw in these these skin cells. And we also threw in uh, an epithelial cell. Epithelial cells are also found in the body, and they, they, they tend to create very flat, continuous, I want to say monolayers. So they kind of, it's like a sheet. And so we thought, okay, let's take these two types, and let's throw them in a channel, in a trench. Okay. So imagine you have this, this uh, you, know, you know, World War II style where you, they would- You gotta dig the trenches. They, they're the trenches, and you'd have a trench every, in this case, 100 microns. Uh, which doesn't really mean anything to you, but a cell is roughly 10 microns. So kind of gives you a proportion, one in 10, you know. Uh, so we had a lot of trenches, let's just say that. Okay. And what we really quickly noticed was that within 24 hours, the skin cells would migrate to the top of the channels. Okay. So they're they're migrating 100 microns. That's 10 times their height. The, their height. So, you know, you're probably, uh, you know, wherever you are right now in a building, uh, if you look up about, well, let's say seven to eight stories high, that's how high they climbed. Hmm. And they all climbed preferentially, and then they formed bridges across the gaps. Crazy. Yeah, right? So so why did they form these? How did they form these? How can you see that they're bridges? Ex- I, I well, think that's... So, so we, we have a specific type of, of microscope called a confocal. And we can take three-dimensional images of these mm-hmm. of these uh, of these tissues, and so we can see that the the cells would would om- I don't want to say hop, but they literally formed a bridge between one side of the channel and the other, uh, creating a, a like a sheet above the channel. What is the width of the channel? I guess it's a hundred microns. A hundred microns. So it's a hundred microns high and it's a hundred microns wide. So they can't just like just reach yeah, over. Not, they actually. You're not. The, they're not just sticking their foot out like you. So Panos was just doing that. By the way, you can't see that, but yeah, it was it was his natural inclination to kind of just you know. You know, stick I'm, his foot thinking, out. I'm thinking of like a ledge where you're just like you're going to like from one building to another for some reason. Yeah. And you're like, oh, okay, it's like two feet. You can just like reach over. Yeah. And you're no, you're absolutely right. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's ten times the size of their reach, yeah. which is crazy. Yeah. Um, and it was a phenomenon that was well, that was that was occurring every time we did it, huh. and we were able to separate cells uh, based on topography alone. Topography. Uh, yeah, topography. By that I mean the substrate, the the channels. So you know, in in flat petri dishes with plastic, they don't do that. They don't do that. They do something completely different. 
but by changing their environment, by changing the three-dimensional nature of their environment, we were able to promote one of them to migrate while the other one stayed at the bottom of the channel. Does that, you look a little confused. I look a little confused only because in the, the flat Petri dish ones, yeah. they don't have any climbing to do. You're right. So, so what happens? Yeah, like what, what are you looking for in that one? So in that one, what happens is that the epithelial cells will actually form this monolayer, this very base layer at the bottom of the dish. Yep. And then the skin cells uh, get pushed out and they form balls with one another above it. They little form what's called these aggregates because they have nothing to adhere to and the strength, the binding strength of the other cells are so much stronger that they push them out. Okay, uh, so sorry. In the petri dish itself, you have both cell lines in there. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I think that's that's an important point to note. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so the cell lines are always put together. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Did, did I not make that clear? Maybe I didn't. Okay. So yeah, so they're thrown in at the same time, and so they're reacting with one another. They're reacting with their substrate, their their environment, and they're completely, their behavior is completely dependent on the physical world around them hmm so is there no um we were talking about cell walls um and tents and, and changing the cytoskeleton mm-hmm. um and how you need some sort of a, a stimulus or some sort of like environmental change do you do you do any changes to the actual cell to the actual um, petri dish itself to affect that change no okay no, so, so all we do is change the native environment around them so bas- so basically, it's like two exactly the same. One has trenches, one doesn't. Exactly. And uh, and one of them just and 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 we get completely different morph morphology and and behavioral aspects of it. Cool. And so and so we did that three years ago. And then when I came in, I said, "Hey, we have these stem cells. Let's just try with that. Let's see what happens when we throw stem cells in a channel." Yeah. And if you know if you if you're not familiar with stem cells, you should go back to the podcast Asexual Reproduction. We go. Into rather detail. Uh, it is uh, reproduction table for one. Table for one. Um, but I can give you like a two-second synopsis. Um, stem cells are essentially the cell, the very first cells in the body when you're, you know, when you're growing in the embryo uh, that are able to to turn into any other cell type in the body. And in my case, I'm using embryonic stem cells. So they they form in these very spherical balls until they can actually turn into something else. Yeah. And so we said, okay, let's just try it. Let's just throw these stem cells in these channels and see. Let's let's see what happens. And what happened was really interesting. So when you threw them in the channels, they started growing in these three-dimensional balls. Hmm. When we threw them in the regular plastic dishes, they formed these very flat, island-like um, monolayers. Hmm. Um, so. And, and why is that important? Why, you know, okay, so one's flat and one's spherical. You, so what? Yeah. Right. Well, the standard protocol for uh, changing stem cells into what you want is to make them into spherical balls first. Okay. So you have to create or replicate that native sphericity in the human body when you're, you know, because... Nothing is very flat when it comes to embryogenesis. Yeah. And so you recreate that kind of sphere. And then when you have that sphere initially, then you then you, you port it over and you kind of differentiate cells. But you need to create that sphere. So basically what you're you're showing is that um, it's actually the conditions of the the background or like 
what you're actually it's not the cell itself that makes it a sphere it's it's environment that's around that'll make it a sphere to be able to actually turn into whatever you want to turn it into exactly and and so so we what we proved was that confinement in this sense because you know the cells are confined within the 100 micron trenches just adjusting the physical properties or the physical environment around them can cause complete completely different changes in the cell life the cell morphology the cell differentiation the cell everything about the cell depends on its environment too and this is really it, it's really interesting because if you think of a cell in general and if you think of the body in general there's a lot of things going on it's not necessarily just the environment that you're in the physical environment yeah. um, but the chemical environment uh, yeah. you're you're dealing a lot with uh, the acidity or basicity or the ph mm-hmm. of what you're working with mm-hmm. um, you're also dealing with thickness of, of liquids that are that are going around sure. what uh, what available uh, foods or what available sources of energy that you have around you but it's interesting to see that it's um i know it's not just based on the physical environment but no no but um but this the stiffness of an environment the confinement of that environment Mm -hmm. all those things will in turn give signals to the cell saying hey hey you're in the right uh, zone or whoa something else is going on or it's no different than you or i now um with uh, you know, as you walk around by down the street or if you're at home and you are bombarded with different stimuli, uh, physical stimuli that that may otherwise warn you of danger or of differences that you're not used to or that you should dynamically adapt to. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to you wanna add to that? Oh, I could add, you know, a few other hours, but I think they're bored by now, yeah? Yeah, have we put you to sleep yet? Yeah. I know we have very sultry voices. Uh, so... We talked a little bit about uh, about research and what we do. I mm-hmm. uh, hope you got a, even a little idea of what a cell is. Um, I hope so, yeah. Uh, even a little it's a idea. Tent. It's a tent. It's Just a like tent. A tent with a whole bunch of things in there to make it's it live. It's a super tent. It's a super tent. Yeah. Uh, you get a little bit idea of what an enzyme does, uh, in, in, in my case, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and what Sebastian does and what his lab does. Yeah, the craziness that is the Pelling Lab. So there's a, a podcast called The Real Good Show. It's oh. a buddy of mine, Justin Morissette, and a couple of his friends back in Vancouver. And Hey-o. it's, and it's uh, I, I give them the shout out because I'll give them the, the, pro- the props for, um, for this section of the podcast. Uh, because what they do is, is to try and uh, encourage reviews. They review the review. Okay. Uh, so this section, uh, we talked about it last time. We're gonna if we get reviews from you guys, we're gonna read them out online. Yeah, we will. So this is our section of review, 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 review. So, Esmont zero eight seven, thank you for your review. We got our very first review, Panos. I know it's. it's I, I was excited when I saw. I, I texted you immediately when I saw this. Yeah, we got five stars. Five stars. Uh, current the curiosity is really fun to listen to. Panos and Sebastian have a really entertaining dynamic and explain things really well. They pose questions that I've never actually thought of, but I'm really glad I now have the answers to. Don't miss out on this. Unless you hate fun, in which this case in in which case this is probably not for you. And Sebastian is strikingly good looking for a radio host. And How did she know that? And she can only hear your voice and has maybe met you once, but uh, thank you very much, Esmont087, for your review. Thank you, my dear. Uh, she went on to iTunes and made that review, and we suggest that you do the same. You should do the same. If you do it, then this way you can hear us talk. Get the shout-out. Get the shout-out. Yeah, you'll get the recognition. Uh, so, 
want to give a big thank you to CHUO for letting us use their space. Thank you. Uh, and you can find us on the Twitter. On the Twitter at curiosity underscore pod. And Gmail. <laughs> Curiosity.pod at gmail.com. Perfect. And uh, and yeah, and we do actually put out these episodes on a blog. Yeah. Um, curiositypod.wordpress.com. So if you are not an iTunes person, right. uh, you can find it there to download or to listen to. Yeah. Sit at your computer and listen to the sounds of our voice. Of our lovely voices. <laughs> well, thanks a lot for listening. Have a happy St. Patty's Day. Happy St. Patty's Day. And this is us signing off. Ciao.